Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles, go ahead and grab them or your devices, turn to Exodus chapter 15. We are continuing our year-long series through the book of Exodus, so we're going to be in this all the way until Christmas, and so we're here in Exodus 15 uh, and looking forward to the morning. We're going to start in verse 22. We did the first part of 15 last week. On the screen now will be the verses, just scripture that I'll use this morning to teach. Um, save you some time. If you want to turn to these places, you can. Just two passages for us this morning, Exodus 15, 22 through 27, and then Hebrews 12, 7 through 15 will be there as well. Uh, just so you know, and I know there's been some confusion uh, because you see Greg McGahey places and you feel like, wasn't he gone like six months ago? Am I dreaming this? Is this a nightmare? Why does he keep showing up wherever I am? Yeah, I see him in public, so I don't know what's happening. Greg and Rachel are here two, this, this Sunday and next Sunday is your last Sunday before you guys go to Guatemala. So stop by and see them. Um, you've probably said goodbye 35 times, but 36 would be great uh, for them. Um, stop by and see them, hug their necks, uh, let them know you're praying for them. Uh, but again, they'll be here for two more weeks and then they're gone, is it three months at a time? I made that up? I did. You're coming and going, thank you. Yeah, so detailed. I expect nothing less from you, actually. Uh, so just to stop by, see them, and uh, love on them. All right, all right. Exodus chapter 15, um, the journey, big part of the journey has happened, but there's a bunch more to come. What you're gonna realize over the next few weeks is that this feels like the same story over and over and over again. The Israelites travel, something bad happens, they complain, God rescues them, then they travel some more, something bad happens. It's gonna happen over and over and over again. Now, if we're honest about it, what we realize is that's just like my life too. Isn't that just like your life? God does something miraculous. A few days later, something bad happens and I'm complaining. That's kind of how the story goes for me in my life as well. This story of the Exodus is our story. So let's remember that to begin with. But their journey has been pretty impressive so far. God uh, met them in Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. The Israelites were the Hebrews, same people. They're slaves in Egypt for about 430 years. God delivers them with 10 mighty acts of judgment. We call them the 10 plagues. The 10th of which was the plague of the firstborn, where God sent a, uh, an angel of death to take the firstborn of every household, unless they spread the blood of a perfect spotless lamb over their doorposts. If they did that, God spared the home. And for the Israelites who did that very thing, God spared their home. And then he set them free. The, the Egyptians said, go, get out of here. We're afraid of your God. Here, take all of our stuff. Take all of our gold, all of our jewels, all of our livestock. Just take it and get out. It's too dangerous for you to be here with us. They uh, leave kind of in the middle of the night. And as they're, as they're rushing away, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, recognizes what just happened. And he's like, I can't let these people go. This is two million people who've been working for me. What's gonna happen if they leave? And so he and 600 of his best men and chariots go after them. God has led the Israelites not the shortest way, but he took them the long way. And they find themselves in a bit of a cul-de-sac with their backs against a sea, a body of water we call it the Red Sea more biblically called the Sea of Reeds, and they're stuck there with nowhere to turn. Egyptian army bearing down on them. They begin complaining, 
And God tells Moses to tell them just to be quiet. I'm gonna fight for you. And then he tells Moses to raise his staff. Moses does the waters part. The Israelites walk through on dry land, not muddy, murky land on dry land, like a cement highway. They walk through two million men, women, children from the youngest to the oldest and livestock all the way through. As they get through, the Egyptians come after them. Moses turns again, stretches out his hand and the waters crash in over them and consume all the Egyptians. Not one horse or rider was left. They were all dead on the seashore. God gave them the privilege of seeing their enemy dead to let them know it is finished. And so then he has delivered them. They sing a song. Moses writes a song, his sister Miriam writes a shorter song, and they sing this song on the seashore after witnessing a mighty, mighty act of God. And that's where we pick up here in Exodus chapter 15. Let's look at verses 22 through 27. I just wanna read through it. I wanna put it into some context, and then we're gonna study. We're gonna study this text together. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Notice he had to make them. Why would you wanna leave? But he makes them, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days, you can circle that, in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah is close to the Hebrew word for bitter or bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, And the Lord showed him a log. Some of your translations say a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. And there Yahweh, the Lord, made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. You can circle that. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, Yahweh, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. There are certain seasons of my life um, that I would rather not revisit. Anybody else have seasons like that? Uh, I just, I don't wanna go back to it. Um, it. It was there for a bit, and I don't wanna go back to it. One of the biggest seasons of my life I do not want to revisit is when my kids were in diapers. I don't wanna go back to that at all. I just don't. We all learn lessons there together. Like, we, we learn lessons, especially if you have a boy, you learn lessons about how to change a diaper. You learn things, right? I learn things, but I, don't, I, I am so thankful that my kids are out of diapers now. Anybody else just thankful for that? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, all of us. What a season, good gracious. This might not be um, popular opinion, but my favorite season of our children was not the baby season. I didn't particularly enjoy, especially when they just laid there and did nothing. Um, maybe you liked it. I, it's not my favorite. It's just not my favorite. I like your babies. I'll hold them and then I'll hand them back to you and you can change their diapers. You can do all of that. It's just, it's a gift of parenting that I'm gonna allow you to have that blessing. I don't wanna rob you of that joy. Um, but I just, I, that wasn't, not my favorite. Now, when they start um, talking and making facial expressions, then I like it for a season, then I'm over that as well, because then they start saying things I don't like them to say to me. I don't like it. Uh, that's just how life goes for me. But then there are seasons in my life that I, I do not want to revisit. Seasons uh, caused by my own sin, seasons caused by the sin of other people that I, I don't wanna go back there. I don't. There are a couple years in college, I don't, I don't care to revisit that time of my life. A few years in the more uh, recent memory that I, I just don't, 
I don't want to go back to. I've learned things there, but I don't want to go back to them. Uh, but that's the joy and the beauty of the way the Lord works in seasons. What we're going to notice here throughout this text is the Israelites have very quickly moved from a season of joy to a season of anguish. And let me give us here a fair warning. Here's what we like to do in 2022 when we read about the Israelites. We like to call them names. We like to think about how stupid they were and ignorant and stubborn and how we would never be like them. You are just like them. This is us. This is who we are. And so what happens is we begin to mock them. We begin to trivialize their pain and their emotions. And then what happens is we face real life stuff that we're like, yeah, but this is way worse than they face. So I get that they complained, but I'm, and they should have complained, but I'm allowed to complain because this is way worse than that. We just have to be careful and read what's in the Bible and not make it into something that is not actually there. So let's go back through this. I wanna study it and I wanna point out something where I think the beauty of the passage is and it's probably not where you think it's going to be. Verse 22, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They just experienced the power of God. They saw the Egyptian army dead on the seashore. Why would you wanna leave there? This is where victory happened. And so Moses had to make them and they set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. That Hebrew word means wall, the wilderness of the wall. This is gonna be important for us. This is where throughout this journey, it'll be 40 years, throughout this journey, they will hit a number of different wilderness or deserts. And here's the first one, Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. So we jump quickly to them complaining and we just breeze right through this part that they hadn't had a drop of water for three days. Now, we look at the Israelites, they're just soft and they're just whiny, right? They're, they're just like toddlers and we think they should just get their act together. But here's the truth. Three days without water is enough to kill someone. And the truth is, there's many of us here this morning, you haven't gone three days without a Diet Coke. And you complain about it. You haven't gone three days without a Chick-fil-A sweet tea. And you're like, man, these idiots, I can't believe how soft they were. Come on. They haven't had water. Have you gone three days without water, without any liquid? No? Good talk then. Scientifically, when you stop drinking water, you experience the signs of dehydration and a feeling of thirst, dark urine, feeling hunger and irritability. As you continue not drinking water, you stop going to the bathroom altogether. You start having trouble swallowing, suffer from muscle spasms and experience some sort of nausea. The blood stops flowing to the skin and your core body temperature increases. The lack of blood flow in your skin may cause your skin to turn a grayish blue color. And after three to five days of not drinking water, your organs begin to shut down, especially the brain, which it could have consequences, including fainting, strokes, and in extreme cases, even death. In the desert of the Middle East, 2.1 million people haven't had water for three days. And then they start complaining and we wanna make fun of them. No, no, no. What they saw over the course of those three days, I want you to just use your imagination to think about this. These aren't, it's not all CrossFit people walking through the wilderness. Like this is, 
This is men, women, babies, children, the elderly, the crippled, the maimed, the handicapped, through the wilderness without water. So mamas, I want you to think about this. Think about your toddler and your baby not having water for three days. You're growing irritable. You're feeling your organs begin to shut down. You haven't, begin to, you haven't urinated in a couple of days. That's painful. You're seeing your baby cannot stop crying and there's nothing you can do for her, nothing. She needs water and you know it, but there's nothing you can do. Your great grandparents are with you and they're having a hard time making the journey. They're having a hard time walking. It's getting hotter as the days go on. And sure, that thing happened at the Red Sea a few days ago, but now you are, you're locked in on your 95-year-old grandfather who can't make it one more step. His skin is turning a grayish blue color. His mouth is dry. He needs water. He knows it. You know it. And there's nothing you can do. Dad, you're responsible for the protection and flourishing of your family. And you followed this man, Moses, out into the wilderness. And now there's nothing for you to keep your family safe. Over the past few days, you've seen babies die. You've seen kids, children pass over dead from dehydration. This isn't a fairy tale. Like they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert without water for three days. So I wanna be clear about something. This is legit suffering, legitimate. This is not them being babies. This is not them being soft. This is them literally on the verge of death, a slow, painful death. This is legitimate. And they find themselves in the wilderness of the wall where there's nowhere they can go. Verse 23, they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. But mixed in some of that, what we have to remember is they haven't had water for three days and they come to a place that would later be called Marah. And what do they see there? They see a body of water. Again, let's put ourselves there. We just experienced the miraculous things of God. And for a day or so, that was amazing. But then you start to realize, I, I'm not feeling good. My kids aren't feeling good. My grandfather's not feeling good. The horses aren't feeling good. The livestock is dying. And then in the distance, you see a body of water and you think, this is, we're saved. This is it. This is the roller coaster. We're all about to die. Wait a second. Let's just get there. Can we just get there? 2.1 million people. And as a father, think about, you know, you know, you're like, hey, baby, watch the kids. I'm going to get us some water. I'll be right back. And you grab whatever you can to fill up water and you take a jug, you take canteens, you take um, animal skins and you, you rush to the water and you fill it up and you fill it up. And as you do, because you got to make the way back to your family, you take a sip and you realize this is not drinkable water. Think about the frustration you have in your heart and in your mind at that moment. You're on the verge of death. You think you see healing and a miracle in the future. Only to find out that thing is actually gonna make you sicker than not actually having any water. And so they complain. I would too. I would do more than complain. 
I would be frustrated with the Lord. I'd be frustrated with Moses. I'd be frustrated with Meredith just for no reason, just because I felt like it, just because I was thirsty. I'd be yelling at my kids. I would, I'd be on the verge of just complete mental breakdown because I was already exhausted. And then emotionally, I have this high of seeing the water only to realize that water isn't going to do anything for me or my family. It was bitter water. So then verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses. Yeah, you bet they did. You bet they did. And I know we wanna think we're so spiritual that we wouldn't. We complain if the air's too hot or too cold. Let's just not, let's just not pretend. They grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now this word grumble, it's kind of a, it has two definitions that at first glance feel like they're complete opposites, but they aren't. The first one is to murmur, right? To complain, that's what we think of. Grumble, it's mumbling, it's murmuring. The other idea is almost, it basically means to sit in or to stay in, to be stubborn is the idea. You put those together and what's happening is the people are stubbornly bitter. This is what they are where they refuse, they refuse to see joy, refuse to be persuaded any other way. Have you ever been there? Have you been there? Where you, you're just gonna sit in it. Like I, you just, you, you're just so angry and frustrated. This is what they are. They're just continuing in their frustration, continuing in their bitterness. I want you just to think about the children and the parents hearing the children's cries and complaints. You hear and you see grandparents and the handicapped. I don't know if your kids are like my kids, but my kids die of, die of thirst every single night. Do your kids do that? I'm so thirsty. Then you gotta get them water. And one of ours, she's a little bougie. And so she needs ice in it. And if she doesn't have ice in it, little girl's not gonna be happy. So I read this to her last night. I was like, I don't wanna hear it again. I don't wanna hear it. One more peep out of you. She was like, well, can, how about some Dr. Pepper then? Can I have that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're on the same page here. So they cry out to Moses. And then notice what Moses does. Again, this is just the growth of the leader, Moses, this man. Look what he does in verse 25. He hears the mumbling. He hears the murmuring and complaining. In verse 25, he cried out to the Lord. This is what leaders do. People complain, rightfully so scared out of their minds. And he goes to the Lord and then notice what God does. The Lord showed him a log. Again, some of your translations say a piece of wood. The Hebrew here is actually the word tree. The Lord shows him a tree. Now, it could have been cut down. It could have been still in the ground. I don't know. I think growing up, I always pictured this like a limb on the ground that he just threw in. This, this is more than a limb. I mean, he has to like, he's got to carry this thing and launch it in. It showed him a tree and he threw it in the water and the water became sweet. Now, I don't know your temperament, um, but if I'm Moses and the people are complaining to me and I find a log or a branch on the ground, I'm throwing it somewhere, but it's not in the water. There's a few people I'd like to make sure it hits. And then from there, I'm just gonna find more branches and see if I can help the situation. God tells him to throw it in the water and he does, but notice the goodness of God. The water doesn't just become drinkable. It doesn't just become like Florida water where you're like, I'll deal with it. The water became sweet. How good is God? God's that good. 
He takes the bitter water and he makes it sweet. This is the grace and the mercy of the Lord. But now look at this, the end of verse 25. Key word here is there. Where there? At Mara. At bitterness, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. They're in this season where things haven't gone the way they thought they would go. Let me just say this to you seniors. I know, like I, I know you've got your whole world ahead of you and you're dreaming and you're gonna be a millionaire by the time you're 19. I hope so because we need to pay off this building and so that would be great if that happens for you and for us. Uh, but I, would, I just, you need to hear this. In a broken and fallen world, that's not how the world works. There is suffering and there is pain. And what's happening for you in this being launched into the world is that you're going to experience suffering and pain like you've never experienced before. And I love you enough to tell you this, that tomorrow is not going to be the best day of your life. And there will come days at college or in your workplace where it doesn't go the way you want it to go. And what is revealed about the way you love the Lord it will come out in those moments more than they will at camp. It's gonna come out there. So I wanna help you this morning. And for those of us this morning who have, been, who have been sold a prosperity gospel, a lie that if you love the Lord, no bad things will happen to you, you need to know it's a lie from the devil himself. The truth is, in a broken world, there is suffering and there is pain. And let me throw this in there as well. God uses the suffering of the world to bring about his glory and your good. Sometimes, he crushes, and sometimes he presses that he might bring out new joy for you. James tells us to let patience have its work, let it, let it finish its work, that you might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The problem for us is that in the crushing and in the pressing, we look for a way out rather than asking God to teach us in the way through. And so this is what's happening here, it's here. It's here at the bitterness, it's here at the frustration, it's here on the verge of death, it's here at the place of pain, it's here that God gives them something. And now we read this like, I don't, that doesn't sound like a gift to me. I don't want statutes and rules and tests from God. That sounds awful. I'd rather have a million dollars and a Tesla. Let's just do that, I'd rather have that. But here's what God gives them. So a few things, this word statute, a statute is a prescribed task. God gives them something to do. It's here. In the land of bitterness, that God gives them something to do, a statute. And then he gives them a rule, a judgment that follows the task. He gives them something to do, and then he gives them the consequences of that task. And it's there that he puts them to the test, to try them or to refine them. It's here at Mara. And so now we're gonna get the statute and the rule in verse 26. So God says to them, if you will diligently listen. Now, in the Hebrew, this is the same word back to back. It's shema, shema. In the Hebrew, the understanding, there is no difference between listening and obeying. It's all just one word. The, the idea is, if you hear it, you're gonna obey it. Those of us who have kids, we know that's not true. Those of us who are human, we know that's not true. You've heard a lot of things in your life and you didn't do it. So diligently listen. The implication is if you hear and obey, if you hear and do, uh, uh, hear and obey the voice of the Lord your God 
and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So quickly, this sounds like an ultimatum, doesn't it? Listen, man, if you do good, I won't kill you. But you step out of line and you're mine. That's not what's happening here. What God is saying is, I've got a plan for your life. And here's, I'm gonna tell you how to flourish in it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you how this thing works the best. And I'm gonna give you a list of statutes and judgments with it. I'm, I'm just gonna be straight up with you. Here's the way to live your life. And if you do this, if you do this, you will flourish. The language is, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. This is a reference back to the plagues, which began at the water and the poisoned water. The first thing that had to happen was that Moses had to throw the tree into the water. And when he did that, it became sweet. From here, and not too long after this, we're gonna find the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And God's going to give the Israelites 10 commandments. And then he's gonna add 603 more after that. Just, you know, just because. So 613 statutes. The problem for us is that if we read that with a perspective of God being a vengeful dictator, then the rebellious nature comes out and we just wanna disobey. However, if we read the statutes as the, as the gift of a holy, righteous, and good father, it draws us into relationship and obedience. God is saying, if you do this, I've got, there's best on the other side of it. And if you don't, you will be sick. This will cause issues for you. A number of scientists have actually done some work on these 613 laws. And many have discovered it's because of these laws that the Israelites were able to stay healthy for 40 years in the wilderness. It's because of these very things that God put in place scientifically, biologically, that has kept them safe. Dr. S.I. McMillan wrote a book called None of These Diseases based on this verse. And he noted that many of God's laws to Israel had a great a direct impact on hygiene and health. Practices such as circumcision, quarantine, washing and running water and eating kosher made a real medical difference in keeping Israel free from disease. Some scientists have done some work in this region and have found a particular kind of birch tree on the edge of water in what we know of as Mara, that when you add it to bitter water, it actually flushes your system and replenishes you at the same time. It's full of all kinds of electrolytes and all kinds of ridiculous things if you have this water and you stir it with this particular kind of wood. It's almost as if God knows what he's doing, right? Like it's almost as if God's not just throwing down laws just because he's a mad science teacher in seventh grade. That's not what he is. He's actually put things in place for our good. And then you have to believe God led his people here because it was here that he had these trees with this water and that combination would bring things forward for them. And some scientists are saying that because of this moment, because of this, because their systems were flushed out, because God took them out of Egypt and literally got the Egypt out of them because that happened, they were then um, healthy enough to face what was in the wilderness. God's always working something at Mara that we don't quite understand. But here's what's even more important here. Look at the end of verse 26. He says, I am Yahweh, your healer. Now, when the word Yahweh was translated by the Romans, it became the word Jehovah. 
This is where we meet Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Where? There, at Mara, God told his people a new name. He gave new insight to who he was. It's here in the frustration, in the pain, in the suffering, in the bitterness that God reveals more of who he is to his people. Jehovah, Yahweh, Rapha. It happens here, there, at Mara, that God tells them, here's how you know who I am. I'm a healer. I'm a healer. Then verse 27, they came to Elam. The word Elam means palms. Tree palms, not hand palms, tree. Where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. These two numbers probably significant for us. 12, 12 represents the 12 tribes, represents the 12 disciples in the New Testament, this idea of 12. But biblically and in Hebrew numerology, 12, the idea here is like a, a perfect completeness. And then the word 70 is significant as well in times of flourishing is the idea. So here's what's happened. He takes him to Elam and what we know is there's a bunch of palm trees and a bunch of springs there. And that's great, right? That's great. But here's what else is interesting. They aren't there long before they make their way to another wilderness. Because of all the things that are in Elam, you know what's not in Elam? A new name of God. You know what's not in Elam? a new revelation of the character of God. Sure, bunch of water, bunch of rest and shade trees, all gifts of God. But they met God. They met the character of God. God revealed himself as healer, not at Elam, but at Marah. Pastor Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Israel had no miracle at Elam. Wells and palm trees they had, but they had no miracle there. No miraculous change of the bitter into the sweet. And they had no statute, no ordinance, and no promise. And no new revelation of God. And no new name for Yahweh there. It is in the seasons of Mara that we meet God. And the blessing of Elam is meant to be an overflow of the character of God. I don't know where you find yourself today. Many of us might be in our season of Mara and we're praying for Elam. And I get it. Elam sounds amazing. But what if you get Elam and you miss Jehovah Rapha? Is it worth it? What if you get the raise? What if you get uh, the marriage restored? What if, what if you get your kids back from trying to wild out and, and ruin their lives? What if all that happens, but you don't get a new revelation of God? Is it worth it? What God does through Moses is that he leads his people to Mara that he might reveal more and more and more of himself. And for those of us who have been through seasons of Mara, those of us who have been through seasons of frustration and pain and bitterness, while I would never want to revisit Mara again in my life, what I got about God in the season of Mara is never found in my Elam. Notice this also, notice the order of the testing. God did not test them and then deliver them. God delivered them and then he tested them. Their salvation was not dependent upon passing the test. The test comes after because there's more ahead for his people and they need to know who he is. It's almost 
Like the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If all you get is Elam and no Mara, he's not your father. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness, his set-apartness. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so if I meet God at Mara, do I go looking for Mara? Is that what I do? Like, I look for suffering? I just, I'm like, where is it the hardest? I'm gonna go there. Where, where can I be bankrupt? Where can I have no friends? I'm gonna go to that place. That place is called Athens, Georgia. But other than that, <laughs> right, Mason? Mason knows. Other than that, right? No, the Bible, is, you don't seek it. Life will bring it to you, I guarantee it. Life will bring it to you. So what do we do? Knowing we're gonna face suffering, knowing that God has in fact given us Mara for his glory and for our good that we might know Jehovah Rapha, then what do we do? Well, here's what we do in verse 12. Therefore, you lift your drooping hands and you strengthen your weak knees. What do we do? Well, in seasons of Mara, we stand up. We stand up and we keep moving forward. Verse 13, you make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. What this means is you don't put any obstacles in your way to trip you up. So what do we do in Mara? Well, we stand up and we clear our mind of clutter and of false lies and false ideologies about who God is. That as we make our path forward, we understand who he is, that we might in fact be healed. We strive for peace with everyone. Because in seasons of bitterness, the temptation is to not be at peace with anyone. But if we were to understand that it's in the Mara that we actually get to know who God is, that we get comfort and peace like never before. If we understand that Mara is for our good, that it's actually a gift, it's actually a blessing, the edge is taken off. And I don't have to be angry with you because you get Elam while I get Mara. And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Then verse 15 and see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There are a handful of you in the room today who need to start acting like Moses. And I know your family is suffering and your workplace is suffering and your school is suffering. And I think God's trying to raise up some Moses. And while you hear the grumbling and the murmuring and complaining, you cry out to the Lord. And you make sure that no bitterness makes its way into the heart of your wife or the heart of your children. You make sure that in your season of Mara, no bitterness makes its way into your small group and into your workplace and into your school. We rise up and we make sure that no root of bitterness makes its way in, but instead that we receive the grace of God. So Mallory makes her way up this morning. I'm just going to ask that we bow our heads.
close our eyes. There's a gift to be found in the journey of the Israelites for us, if we're humble enough to accept it. What we get to see from this perspective, this vantage point, is that we don't have to be bitter. That we can trust that God will use Mara to show us who he is. And my guess is that many of us in the room have been through our own seasons of Mara. We felt deceived by God. We felt like he saved us only for three days later to face the worst days of our lives. We feel like we were obedient to him and we took steps in the right direction and for a day it felt good and then a few days later we were questioning, what have I just done? And if you endured Mara, you learned something about God that you wouldn't have known in Elam. But also imagine for many of us, we're prone to try to fix Mara as quickly as we can. But in so doing, we miss Jehovah Rapha. We miss a new revelation of him. We miss that maybe he's not only your father, he's your friend. We miss that he is a healer. We miss that he is near to those who are brokenhearted. We miss that he is the joy of our salvation. Maybe you've missed it. Then there are some of us today that God is actually using your season of Mara to show you who he is by means of salvation. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking and he speaks to the crowds and he says, you come to me, all you who are weary laden, you are burdened and weary, heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke in those days was the understanding a rabbi had of the scriptures. And Jesus had been painted as a uh, kind of a wild man. And the Pharisees were the ones who stuck to the law. And so their yoke was strict and it was heavy. And so the people that were weary and heavy laden, they would never go to the Pharisees because that just added more burden to them. They're legalistic. But Jesus says, you come to me, my yoke, my understanding of scripture, it's light. It's not a burden, it's a joy and it's sweet. And so what's happening for many of us today is this very thing. There has become a burden. You've been heavy laden in your season of Mara, but you haven't run to Jesus because your understanding of Jesus is that he's an angry, vengeful dictator who will take everything from you. I want you to know that Jesus is better than that. And he will take your sin from you and he will take your shame and your guilt from you. And in return, he will give you Elam. He will give you seasons of rest and palm trees and springs. He will ease your burden. So maybe you're here this morning and you've actually never given your life to Jesus. And what John, you hear to church today is that you've been in such frustration and bitterness. You don't know where else to turn. And your grandma always told you about the Lord, always told you about God. So you figured maybe today I'll come. Well, I want you to hear today that there's a God who will meet you in your bitterness. 
And he takes the tree of crucifixion and makes what was bitter sweet for you. If you'll confess with your mouth that he is Lord and with your life that he is sovereign, that you would find salvation today. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't actually know Jesus. You're not following Jesus. But there's something stirring in your heart today that you want to give your life to him. All you've got to do to begin the journey is just to pray. Say, Lord, I know I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner. And I need somebody to save me because I've tried and I can't save myself. Would you save me? And I commit my life to following you under your ordinances and your statutes because I know you have my best in mind and you would find salvation there. For others of us in this season of Mara, the call is that we would allow his work to finish. And maybe you need to turn your eyes to the tree of Calvary as well to remind you that there's new life coming on the other side of death, that he might just reveal more of himself to you and Mara than he ever could in Elam. God, I love you and I don't know how you do it. And thankfully, I don't have to know how, I just know that you do. God, I'm thankful for the seasons of Mara. I know there are more coming for me because that's just life but I know that my next season of Mara will be different than my former season because I know who you are. And I know the same God that got me through that wilderness will get me through the next one. And in that next one, God, you're gonna show me even more about you. And there's something about knowing you that settles my heart, that contents my soul. If I'm being honest, I want more of it. So make me a vessel and make me an offering and make me whatever you want me to be. For friends of ours walking through their Mara today, God, would you, even today, open their eyes to who you are, a new understanding of Yahweh in ways that they have never experienced before. May our cry uh, be to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.